Every heart ready to believe. Love that. Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Good morning. Wow, that was pretty good today. You excited? I'm excited. I had to wait two minutes to, to get up here. It's like the end of the game yesterday. Um, know, know that uh, if you run into a 49er fan today, you need to be nice to them. They went through a minor cardiac event yesterday. <laughs> and if you are a 49er fan, make sure you pass the, the bag you were breathing into yesterday. Pass it to like the Chiefs or Bills or Bucks, Lions, one of those fans, because it's going to be a rough day for them. Amen? amen? No, not amen. It's just football games. Come on. It's just football. Right, and uh, there's much more to life, and that's why we're here. You're here. We can say amen to that. Amen. Yeah. Last week we talked about um, word for the year. Do you remember my word? No. no. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, my word for the year. Um, Nathan, I figured out what your word for the year is. Joy. There you go. Two weeks and counting? Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Woo-hoo. Wow, congratulations. That, uh, that's a, a great day in the life of the church. Uh, has no comparison to a great day level for you guys, but very excited for that, and uh, that'll be fun. Um, and then we got a surprise for you in two weeks. I'm not going to say anything this week. You'll have to be here next week to find out about the surprise, but it's going to be fun. So, February 4th. I'm calling it like a little bit of an anniversary gift to me. So, 29 years on the 4th, Julie and I. And we're going to do their wedding on our anniversary. So, so very exciting. And I think there might be a football game. I don't know. We'll see. Or maybe not. Uh, welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're a Christ-centered yeah. All right, good. We're not football based, social media based, social activism based, none of that, right? Where's the center? And, and how do we center on it? The Bible, okay? And then when we center on it through the Bible, that helps us compel ourselves and others. And hopefully it brings it in a way that is palatable works for people uh, and then that's how we become a community the way God designed community uh, and I'm, I'm amazed at how hard culture is trying to infect community with the things that they are projecting and part of what we do here is figure out original design why are we here? Somebody is in charge because uh, I've figured out that I can't, I can't do things on my own. And, and at least half of the things that I do, how do they end? Poorly. Poorly. That's a nice way to say it. Okay, thank you. Crash and burn, math. Um, and how do we figure out then who is in control? And if he's in control, what's he controlling? Why is he controlling it? What is important to him? What's he capable of? What's he want? The um, Scripture has a word for that. And I think we use it 
I mean, properly sometimes, I think we miss the value of the, this word. And I was thinking about it a lot this week. And the word is glory. What is glory? As much as I think we get stuck on it, it's, it's not an interception in the last couple seconds so that your team wins. That's not glory. It approaches glory. It gives a semblance of glory. We see the image of God at least a little bit in everything. Amen? But the true design, the origin of glory, comes from one place. Uh, and we're going to look at that uh, this morning you know, as we continue our series in the Gospel of John chapter 2. We're going to do a whole chapter today. We split up chapter 1 in the last couple of weeks, but there's only 25 verses today. I think we can handle it. Here's the problem. Three stories in 25 verses. Say, oh no. oh no. Oh no. It's okay. We'll be okay. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Um, but we're going to figure out because uh, Jesus comes on the scene, second half of chapter one. And in this chapter, it says he manifests his glory. And I want us to start looking into that because we gave you three great words that start with I last week. Today, we're going to give you three more great words. And uh, between last week and this week, we're going to start to paint the picture, some color, some of the lines of what does the glory of God look like. Ready? Is that enough of a commercial? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning and what we get to do. Thanks for my patience and having to wait two minutes just to get on stage to talk about this. I pray that it goes better than I even expect. And it goes your way. The things that are important to you. Trust that your word, your spirit, all of that is what we do today. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. On the third day, we're uh, two, three days into kind of little narrative John's on. The first day, John the Baptist saw Jesus said something. Second day, John the Baptist saw Jesus said something. Now this is the third day. John the Baptist is going to see Jesus this day. Sorry. He is going to be at a wedding. By the way, third day, does that, does that conjure up a feel? Something? Yeah? Oh, that's right. Third day he rose from the grave. Okay. I, I think it's symbolism. We'll see if it fits. We'll see when it fits. How about that? Uh, Jesus goes to a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with the disciples. That's a problem. You bring the boys. When the wine ran out, I think it's statistically significant that those two phrases are next to each other. <laughs> the disciples were there and the wine ran out. Come on, guys. <laughs> what are you doing? I can't prove that biblically. We're just having a little funny, fun on a Sunday morning before we get serious. And mom comes to Jesus and says to him, they have no wine. Brilliant deduction. What's the implication? Well, there's oh no. There's a problem, but once we get beyond oh no and there's a problem, what's, what's she really saying? Uh, is there any moms out there? Yeah, take out the trash. Get it solved. Clean the, whatever. Do something. Right? 
It's time to engage. They have no wine. And she says, ma'am, make sure you don't uh, misquote this because in our culture we say, woman, what does this have to do with me? It sounds negative. It was probably more a respectful statement, ma'am or missus or whatever. He's trying to be respectful, mom. But at the same time say, is this my problem? Is, am I supposed to solve this or someone else? Because my hour has not yet come. What's his hour? It's a great question. Um, there's no real great answers for that, by the way. I kind of thought his hour was when he showed up on the scene in the manger. Cute little baby Jesus. We had it right here. That was a good hour, right? There's an hour there. Wait, there's several. Like the actual crucifixion, then there's the hour of resurrection. How about the prediction the night before and the washing of the feet and the doing of communion? Like which hour? Or is hour more of a general time? Has my time come? That's, I think, the best interpretation of what's going on here. It's like, um, it's not time to go public right now. This is someone else's wedding, maybe. I don't want to steal this show. We want to make sure that the party continues, but if mom tells son to do something, and I'm pretty sure there's a chapter 20 in Exodus says something about honoring your father and mother, right? He said he came to fulfill the law. Mom tells him what to do, and so what does he do? He's going to do something, right? His mother said to the servant, she doesn't, this is a classic mom move right here, doesn't even respond to what Jesus says. She just turns to the servant and says, hey, whatever he says to do, do it. Right? Do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of, what's that word? It's going to come back, that word. Okay. How many jars? Made of what? And what do they carry? Okay. Our purpose is for cleansing. Okay. I, we got to get this down. We're going to go over it at uh, Nate and Joy's wedding, or Joy and Nate's wedding. Don't get that order mixed up. Right? Um, but it wasn't just any large containers. There's a cleansing, a spiritual cleansing for the Jewish rites of purification. Does that sound like a ceremony? Say yes. When it was time to purify yourself to go in before the temple, the priest, before a sacrifice, or just certain times of the year, this is something that you did. Understanding that God's above you and you're beneath and you need His guidance, cleansing, that kind of thing. That was the purpose of these and could he have used anything he wanted? And he chooses these jars. He said to the, uh, they, they held 20 or 30 gallons. He said to his servants, fill the jars with water. I filled them up to the brim. So did he leave them short? Did he make sure there was as much as possible? Okay. He said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become what? And did not know where it had come from, though the servants knew where they drew it. 
Master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Why do you do that? Because the disciples are there. And they start drinking, you run out of wine, right? You put out the good stuff, it tastes good. Then after they've had some wine, they can't really tell what you put out later. Get out the cheap stuff, right? Um, instead, is this, is this a statement about which order we put things in? Or is it a statement about his status? What does he make? He makes the best. <coughs> Excuse me. And when he makes things, not only does he do them well, it draws attention. Right? It compels others. Sorry, shameless commercial. So good wine first, and then and then, no, you back you did this backwards. But you kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did it in Cana, Galilee, and manifested his glory. There it is. Mom said, Hey, they're out of wine. He said, It's not my time. And she says, Go do whatever he tells you. And I guess it was his time. Because looking back on it, John writes this down and says, you know, this is really his first miracle. And this is when we began to see his glory. I think it's absolutely significant, poignant, notable. He did it at a wedding. He did it to continue the event. He did it to make sure that these people got to celebrate. He provided a need. It was the best. And then there's this purification thing hanging out. What did I use? I used something that was meant to cleanse all of you. Now we're going to get into that in a, in a minute when we get to our feelings. Uh, this is the first time Jesus did a can of God. He manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Ooh. I love this. Um, I like to call the disciples the boys because I'm not sure they were quite men yet. I think they were still learning. And what I love about this is they were following and yet to believe fully, maybe. There was some kind of doubt or something going on because John says this is when they start to believe. That's going to come up a couple more times. I love that. After this, they went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Do they give you exact number? Okay, then let's stop counting. We started the first day, second day, and then on the third day, and then now all of a sudden we've stopped counting. Okay? And so at some point, Passover, the Jews is at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. That's a little bit of a trip. In the temple, <coughs> he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Anybody remember this, this story? What's about to happen? Food fight. Yeah. And making a whip of cords... He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Another passage said a den of robbers. Um, it's, is he cleaning house? Literally? Hmm. What was the last story about? It was about a wine and providing some things, but was there a cleaning thing? 
Note why John writes these stories together. And note that um, Luke tells us that if we wrote down all of the stories that Jesus did, there's not enough books in the world to cover them. So John had to pick and choose which ones he put in. Not really, because the Holy Spirit picked for him. But God deemed it important for us to have these stories together and see the symbolism. This cleansing, cleaning, purification thing at the same time. We're not doing trade here. What, what's supposed to happen in the temple? Well, what's supposed to happen at church, by the way? Worship. Um, and worship was wonderful this morning, wasn't it? You know, it's great when worship sounds good. And the rhythm and the unity. Because it enhances the real purpose of worship, which is what? Glorify God. Manifest His glory. He says, that's what the temple's for. You guys are doing it for gain. It bugs me when people come to church for gain. Underbelly of the churches, you got people that show up, they got their own agenda, and they start infiltrating and doing stuff and causing division. It bugs the heck out of me. Right? Because this is supposed to be a house of prayer where we worship, we glorify God, and we love our neighbor. Amen? Amen. And we're just still all practicing that. When somebody comes in and try to practice something else, it's a problem. What's that? I've been told I'm not allowed to say it out loud, but I can do that at least. All right? Take these things away. His disciple remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for the house. What, what's the zeal for the house? What's the house pure? Zeal for the house. Whose house is it? God. Zeal for God. So the Jews said to him, um, what sign do you give to show us for doing these things? They say, okay, can you give me a sign? Right? I love that. Because what just happened in the last story? Water to wine, six big jars, right? Maybe 180 gallons or something. That's a lot of wine. You need another sign? How about I just cleared house? Is that not a sign? Jesus said, <laughs> he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. You want a sign? Careful what you ask for. I'll show you a sign. Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when therefore he was raised from the dead, um, after how many days? Mm. His disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Last uh, story said he started. they started to believe him. Now they're starting to believe the scripture and the things that he's saying. Are they making progress? Is God manifesting his glory? Wow, it feels some themes in here. Kind of fun. Uh, two wins. So apparently he's in the championship game. Let's see how it goes. Uh, verse 23. Now when, it was, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs he was doing, Signs, plural. 
Isn't it the business of uh, doing work, accomplishing things? So, manifesting glory is more than just, hey, look at me. Because a, a lot of times we think glory is attention, status, title, money. You know, they score a touchdown and they do their little dance or whatever. And, ooh, I'm important. Um, God, God he doesn't show up that way. He, set, he sets the ball down and says, uh, line up again. Let's go. I'm going to keep doing this. I got more to do. He never gets tired. He never stops working. Uh, how's he working today? Becomes the question. And now it's more than just the disciples believed. Now it's many believed. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness for uh, about man. For he knew himself what was in a man. I think there's a little statement there that his manifested glory is separate from who? And it's separate from our praise. Does our praise make him glorious? Oh, I don't like the way you said that, Scott. What does our praise do for his glory then? I just heard it. Was it Doc? It's always the sage, isn't it? <laughs> Come on, Doc. It acknowledges it. It's a response. It's kind of like a thank you. It's one of the best parts of praise is to thank him. Yeah, you had anything good go lately? Anything good? Anyone? Four of you. Okay, good. You didn't have like a family meal during the holidays and nobody fought too much. I mean, I, I call that a win, right? How often do we say thank you after those things? Oh, not enough, Scott. I feel guilty right now. Can we move on? Yes, we can. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. <laughs> All right. We kind of, it's, it's not really three stories. It's kind of like two and a half stories, maybe, or two and a quarter stories. But John makes it very clear, very early in his gospel, that Jesus shows up on the scene and starts manifesting his glory. Right? <laughs> Last week, we talked about the idea of um, finding and following. He's, he's gathering and people are finding faith and getting other people to follow the whole thing. He's starting to get people's attention. He's starting to say enough that's heard by a few. We're drawing a crowd. And he's gaining momentum. <coughs> What's he show us, though? What's he show us in this, this manifested glory? Um, I, I want us to see what it looks like. And I think this is really my perspective on the combination of the two and a half stories and what's going along going on in on kind of all of them so it's kind of thematic first one is provision god his manifested glory looks like this provision <coughs> sorry i got that one nasty little cold What, what's um how do can we can we see provision in the story somewhere yeah hey they have no wine okay well here's some wine right 
Was there, was there, was there a provision in the temple? It kind of is like, um, let, let me provide this place as a place of worship. It's, not, it's a little bit of a stretch, right? What I want us to see is God's desire to provide. What, what's the first thing he does known to us? First action known to us about God in the whole book? In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. He starts making stuff and provide. And when he pulls at him and even says, hey, this is all for you to play with. Except for that one thing. Right? That's provision. We see the story of Israel all through the First Testament. What's God do? He keeps showing up and providing things. Manna from heaven. Water from a stone. All these different things. Sometimes He provides in a person a deliverer or a hero. Remember Samson? That was a provision in some ways. By the way, men, we're going we're gonna to start a series on uh, Samson uh, starting in March. It's going to be fun. Uh, <coughs> but I think our problem here with provision is we get stuck in the immediate. And what's for lunch today? How long is the meeting going to go? I, I got to eat. What are we doing tonight? Hey, did you hear what they said about me? Hey, look at this story. Why are we stuck in the immediate? We have, kind of like the cold I have, we have another cold. It's called the tyranny of the urgent. Somebody introduced that phrase to me when I was in high school. It was a pastor. His name was Mark Tyler. I don't like him very much. He's our 360 serve guy, right? Comes in here. Um, he's had the ability to speak truth a couple times into my life. He's like, you know, Berglund, you're kind of running around tyranny of the urgent. I'm like, how dare you swear at me? What's this tyranny word? Wh whatever's right in front of our face, that's the most important. What's wrong with that statement? It's wrong. <laughs> it's not true. But we think if, if we have to do what's right now rather than the delay of gratification, the sign of maturity. You heard that one? I saw that it was, a, it was um, one of the magnets on the refrigerator at somebody's house. And it was like a drive-by shooting. I was walking by someone else's house. Whoa. A sign of maturity is the ability to delay gratification. What I love is um, we have God in Genesis saying, let there be, boom. At the wedding, does he do immediate? Kind of. But does he say, just pull some water out of those jars over there because there's wine in them already? No. He does impending. Right? He sets them up. Hey, you see those jars over there? Go get them. Now go get some water. Put the water in the jars. And then take it over to the master. You know what a problem I have is? 
when did it turn to wine? What part of that process? Did it just start turning red as they were pouring it? Was it done by the time they got it to the master? Or was it still look like water when they poured it to the master? And then all of a sudden, right as he's about to, then it turns into wine and everything. I want answers. That's the question. We have needs. We have needs. And they're perceived. Most of them we want to call immediate. And sometimes God wants to say, eh, they're more like impending. They're coming. But I'm going to work some things and make you dance a little and whatever. And people are going to laugh at you or you're going to spend some money or it's going to take two more time than you're comfortable with. You're going to get grumpy. There may your one emotion might get involved. And then eventually, we're going to do it. So I think provision, but provision that leads to ultimate needs. And when do ultimate needs get met? Ultimately. <laughs> brings in one of my least favorite words of all time. Later. Unless it's time to do work, then I really like the word. You know, oh, I'll do it later. Right? But when I want something, when I have a need, later and patience are like my two least favorite. And yet, if we're willing to wait, he brings the best. And we seem to think that God's timing is, takes too long. I was thinking about this this week. I think I've figured out the process in heaven when you pray for something that you want, when you have a need. I figured it out. First, they form an angel evaluation team. <laughs> that, that angel team comes and does some reconnaissance. They put together a report, very detailed, multi-pages, footnoted. That report goes to the design team. They have to figure out now what is the actual need from that, you got to generate some purchase orders, and then that purchase order's got to go to the acquisition angel team. they got to figure out how to get the stuff. That's then sent to manufacturing. Manufacturing gets the stuff ready. They send it to the assembly group, and then you got to call delivery because they got to schedule when your need is going to be delivered. And then there's instructions and installation. you got to bring in the quality control person afterwards to check on it, see if the permits are... Correct, and then there's the finish team to make sure we get the finish work done. And then, of course, there's billing and accounting and customer service is going to want to do a survey at the end. And then we're going to run that all through marketing, see how well it went so that we can send for next time. And we think that's how God works. Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> yeah, if I order it now, I could maybe get it by the end of the day or tomorrow at the latest. Is that how God works? Sometimes, if he wants to mess with you, God mess with anybody or is it just me? You ever, you ever wanted something, needed something, thought about something, stressed over something, and find out it was already done? Or how about waited for years and prayed for years, praying still for years for him to resolve something? Is he just jumping through a bunch of different committees to muck things up like we like to do as humans? Or 
He's got a plan. And provision's going to happen at exactly the right time. In fact, the scripture tells us that at the right time, Christ died for us. Well, if he's doing that timely, then is he doing you timely? Is he doing your stuff, your concerns, your priority list? Or maybe he's trying to train you to work on your emotions. No, Scott, my emotions are my emotions, and I cannot help the way that I feel. Well, my thoughts are my thoughts, and you know, it's just this is the way I'm designed. It's my it's my condition. You can't change your thinking. How horrible for you that you believe such a fallacy. I love that word fallacy. Uh, most of the times we deal in fallacy, and the greatest fallacy about provision is that he would withhold it from you. God is bringing provision. It's what he does all the time. He just lots of time does it later, and you have to be patient. But when it arrives, it's perfect. It's the best. And you're going to walk around telling people about it. Amen? Part of the way he manifests his glory is by showing provision. Uh, another way that he does it is by purification, Right? He remo removes impurities and prepares us. <coughs> he says, look, uh, we're going to clean out this whole temple because this is not what it's used for. Right? Now, that word used never shows up in the passage. This is something I inserted for today. But basically what he says, look, we're not a den of robbers. We're not here for trade. We're not here to make money. Money is not the agenda of a church. Amen? Have I ever asked for money? No. Not a single time. We're coming up on how many is that? Fourteen years? Thirteen and a half years. I hate money. Unless I have it, then I love it. <laughs> um, we don't we're not about money. That's not what we do here. There's a different purpose, and that purpose is worship. Let's use worship stuff for worship stuff. Let's use tools in the proper way. You ever get in trouble with your dad for using the screwdriver like a hammer? Or was that only me? No, I know there was a few others. Jason, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think it's significant that he says, get the... Get the pots that were used for purification. I want to fill them all the way to the top. And then we're going to pass it out to everybody. It's very symbolic. Did they get wine? Yes. Was it the best wine? Did he provide? Yes. But know that provision is like the lowest bottom shelf. It's the low hanging fruit on what God does. He provides a bunch of stuff. Why? So that he can bring you to purification. Last week, we talked about uh, third filling is that God offers this immersive experience with him. And we talked about you know, baptism, when you, when you are baptized, it covers your whole body and that it's meant for full cleansing. Do you know there's something more than immersion? I can clean the whole outside. And I have been showering every day for this whole cold 
that I've had, and it hasn't done a thing. Where am I going with this? If I want the cold to go away, right, I gotta take drugs, zinc. I don't know. Getting enough calcium and C and magnesium and all this. I want drugs. I tried to buy cough syrup the other day in one of these like organic, uh, all natural stores. And the cough syrup, it said, no drugs inside. That's water. <laughs> Put it down. No, purification takes us from immersion to, like if you put it inside of you, if you imbibe it, right? Um, what's another way to say that? That would be fun. How about infusion? We love that because God was separate from us and he, he's always been in the Old Testament, First Testament, described as God was over here and we were over there. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene and says, yeah, but unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, ooh, what is that? I mean, you're getting it inside. It's infusing. It's taking over the whole of you rather than just the outward surface. And he passes that out to everybody. He says, drink this. It's amazing symbolism. And what's, what's he do in that? At the wedding, he, what he does is he ensures the use of that day, of that time, of that party. <clears throat> when God purifies you, it means he re removes the unclean or the, the sick or the damage. He, he heals you to prepare you for proper use. This is the proper way to use the temple. This is the proper way to celebrate a wedding. This is the proper way for me to manifest myself and I'm not going to do it in front of men because I know the heart of men and that's not where my glory comes from. I know my proper use. I want to show you your proper use. And I'm going to do it by providing for you and then cleaning things up for you as best I can. And oh man, think about the stories that are about to come that we're going to look at as we go through the book of John. The woman at the well, which Bryce uh, covered a couple times recently. We'll probably skip it this time because we've already covered it. But the woman that's bleeding, the woman that's caught in sin, the man who's dead and Lazarus, come forth. What? Why? He provides him life, cleans him up of his sickness so that he can... Hey, everybody, look at me. No. So you start doing things. So you can have proper use. I love the way this plays out in this passage. Lastly, manifested glory looks like restoration. <coughs> he says... Tear down the temple. And I can put it back together. Remember the Humpty Dumpty story rhyme? I, I can remember very little of it. Had a great fall and all the king's horses and men. No one can put Humpty back together again. It taught us this thing. There's, there's certain things just can't be put back together. Have you ever broken something valuable? 
we have a saying in our house that anything that's valuable to Julie gets broken. When you grow up with boys, right? She's raising three boys. I don't you know that, right? <laughs> Two sons and a... No, go ahead. We get a perceived notion that there's there are breaks that can never be resolved. It's a lie. They came to Jesus and they said, teacher, if you can. (laughs) He starts laughing at them. If I can. Why are you functioning in the negative? I'm the greatest restoration process ever. He said he was talking about his body, which by the way, Later on, he passes, three days later, restores himself to life, restores us through purification and provision from sin and all these things. Did he do it? Now, if they had taken literally and destroyed the temple, could he have raised the temple in three days? Yeah. Sure. I mean, you would, you would maybe want to go back to Genesis chapter 1 for a reminder of what he's capable of doing and how quickly. But know this. Most of the time that God slows down or goes slowly, it's just our perception. And, and, and he could do it instantaneously fast before he could even snap his fingers or say a word. He could make stuff happen instantaneously and yet he slows down for who because if he did it really fast who would miss it and we'd we'd lose the value we'd miss the process we'd lack understanding it would be even more mysterious than what we're living today i praise god for his manifested glory and how slowly he took it. And what I try to remind myself when I feel like later is too far away and patience is killing me, who had to do later more than I did and was much more patient than I am? The almighty, all-knowing, ever-present God who could do things instant. That guy had to slow down? I can't imagine what it'd be like to be him and have to do things that slowly. For all the knuckleheads. And all of a sudden I start to feel important. He slowed down for me. Yeah, Berkeley, come here. Catch up. Come on. I'm going about as slow as I want to go. Come on. I got things I want to provide for you. We're going to clean you up in the process. And then we're going to restore you to a, a place where you can actually do something. We're going to use proper use with you. What is restoration? Restoration ensures existence. That you continue to exist. I love the idea that we're still here. That God loves us and provides for us and did the cross for us and did Christmas for us and gives us relationships and talents and abilities and the whole thing. 
And then he says, stay there. We'll do heaven later. Be patient. For now, I'm just going to have you be there. I love asking that question. Why are you still here? Why am I still here? I mean, this whole existence thing is a little bit of a drag in some ways. Or not. Is it fun? Is it worth being around? The desire to survive? I want somebody who can ensure my existence. For whatever he's waiting for to show me later, or let me see, let me know, let me learn. The relationships I might have in my future. I keep telling the kids too, grandkids, we're, we're running out of time. What's going on? He says, I'm going to make sure that you're still here. And if you're still here, exist. It ensures existence and usefulness. He designed you to be useful. To have purpose. Interactions. And yes, He did give you your thoughts. And yes, He did give you your emotions. And yes, those do change. And they do lead us astray sometimes. And they do put us on track. Spidey sense ever go off? You ever feel a virgence in the force? A leading of the Spirit? I just, you know what? I feel like I need to call Fred today. Whatever it is. I haven't prayed about this. Oh my gosh, I need to pray about this. God, forgive me for not praying about this sooner. Manifest your glory in this, Lord. And show me how to be of use. Love that. I'm noticing that in the manifestation of His glory, many times that means for me stepping back, stepping aside, letting someone else go first, taking direction, listening to opinion, hearing emotion. Letting someone else take charge, be the boss, live outside myself for others. It starts to feel like, you know, when he said, hey, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you know, where's, where's me in that? Folks, that's the question that culture asks every moment of every day, every instant. How does this affect me? I, I, I have people in my life that are so self-focused they see nothing else and it's infuriating because we're missing out we're missing out on i think what what uh, what mom said hey do whatever he tells you i love that verse five i think it is Tech booth. His mother said to her, do whatever he tells you. Man, I want to take that personally. 
I know that sometimes he's speaking through other people. Sometimes it comes in, in mysterious ways that we yet to understand, recognize, that surprise us. God is manifesting his glory, amen? It's immersive, it's intense, it's interactive. That was last week. And he's doing it so that he can provide, purify, and restore us, those around us. And he's taking his time. He's going to saunter through Israel over the next 20 ish passages. We're going to have some fun with it so we can learn how to walk with him and experience his manifested glory. Amen. If you never made that decision, if you if you never committed to that, just ask him. I think I think it's time. I'm starting to get it, God. I want to get it more. I want to be yours. I'm all in Christmas. I'm all in Easter. I'm all in Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's you. Let us know. And by the way, if you haven't been baptized yet and you want to be baptized, it's really fun. Let us know. Lord, thank you for this morning and what we get to see in the complexity and simplicity of your word and how well it goes together. And I pray you would continue to show us even more than we saw this morning. May you continue to manifest your glory in our lives today in ways that we can see and others can see around us. We thank you for your provision, how you fix us and our stuff. Restore us to where you want us to be so that we can do what you want us to do. We thank you for the offering that we're about to receive and pray you'd use it to Manifest your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May he provide, purify, and restore you. Amen. Amen. Go with him.